There have now been 132 deaths, close to 6,000 cases, and 16 countries outside China. It's easy to look around at the moment and wonder, how did we get here? This Thursday night, anxiety mounts over the spread of COVID-19. How could a situation that not so long ago would have been incomprehensible be splashed suddenly across our screens? Life is changing in Australia as it is changing all around the world. Life is going to continue to change as we deal with the global coronavirus. But actually, I'm not talking about COVID-19. Not about the pandemic itself, anyway. I'm talking about this. Sounds interesting. Right, and then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors. The suggestion by the president of the United States to inject bleach as a health measure is shocking. But it's just the most prominent and maybe egregious example of misinformation in an age of misinformation. Even before coronavirus hit, it was a pandemic of our own making. Not a physical one, but rather digital. Combined with the extraordinary health crisis we're all now living, the infodemic, online misinformation around the spread and treatment of COVID-19, is a threat to lives all of its own. We've seen misinformation about cures, coronavirus cures. We've seen misinformation about how to protect yourself. Some people have shared uh, fake health information attributed to hospitals, which did not come from those hospitals around tanning, drinking hot water, drinking vinegar as ways to protect yourself, and they really won't. Ariel Bogle reports on technology for the ABC. It keeps continuing, um, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Lies, fabrications and conspiracy theories abound in our online spaces, proliferating like malignant digital cancers. Up to now, the big tech companies have refused to take significant action against such misinformation. But in the face of our current predicament, have they finally found their conscience? Will they keep it? Is it already too late? I'm Dan Butler. This is Think Digital Futures. As a tech reporter, Ariel has seen plenty of misinformation scandals play out on all the biggest tech platforms. So, of course, the one that people always come back to is political misinformation on Facebook, Facebook. Also Twitter, Instagram, Google. I mean, let's look at Facebook. Since 2016, that was the US presidential election when I think this issue of political misinformation really started to get a lot of notice. In a US election like no other, made-up news took centre stage. Donald Trump triumphed with some extraordinary claims. One famous statistic says more fake news than real was shared during the 2016 election about Hillary Clinton's ill health or her secret allegiance to Islamic State. Closer to home in our own election last year, rumours were rife that Labor had secret plans to implement a death tax. All were untrue. But the tech co's washed their hands of responsibility. The company since then has been often uncomfortable to police 
uh, politicians when they lie, when they say wrong things, when they stir up uh, hatred against certain groups. And I mean, in a lot of ways, you can somewhat understand that. It's because American company, they operate under a constitution that protects free speech. And you can see both the uh, public furor that would happen if they started taking down political profiles and political posts. Uh, But on the other side, you can see the damage that a lot of that does. It seems a world away, but just a few months ago, we were transfixed by another existential crisis. A large bushfire burning about an hour out of Canberra have been told it's too late to leave their properties. The rural fire service says it's moving east towards the town of Braidwood. While volunteers doused flames, there was another threat spreading like wildfire. So if you look at this theme that emerged during the uh, bushfire season, that arson was the key cause of Australia's horrific bushfire season and not climate change and not other factors, just arson and bad people going out there lighting fires. That one was really popular, but it seems to have emerged in part from some misinterpreted uh, news articles that maybe had an oversimplified headline and they got shared on Facebook and people seized on them without reading the whole article to get the full picture. Our current crisis has fared no better. Back in January, conspiracy theories began to run alongside the pandemic. These are classics of the genre, you know, uh, coronavirus was caused by uh, Bill Gates. People love to blame stuff on Bill Gates for some reason. There's also the idea that it was a bioweapon that China released on the rest of the world or vice versa that the United States released on China. That's another uh, one of these conspiracy theories out there. So it started then but it's really uh, continued to evolve um, all the way to now where we're really dealing with a huge surge in misinformation around 5G and its connection to coronavirus. There is no connection. That particular myth has proven a prevalent one, with cases internationally of people tearing down 5G towers. While misinformation and conspiracy theories are spreading on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, the tech companies that own these platforms have consistently refused to take action. But with COVID, they've struck a new tone. If we look back at the middle of March, you've got Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Microsoft, Reddit, Twitter and YouTube. They issued a statement saying that they've joined forces to combat fraud and misinformation about the virus. So we are definitely seeing this concerted effort. This is Anne Kruger. She's the bureau editor of First Draft and the acting co-director at the Centre for Media Transition at the University of Technology, Sydney. So they've done things from changing their policies to tweaking their algorithms. Um, And I think obviously we're seeing um, quite a a difference there. These changes are not going unnoticed. And even if you just look at your platform and see these alerts, uh, a bit like an SOS banner at the top. Try it out. Search for the terms corona or COVID on Facebook, YouTube or Twitter. The first hit is a banner advertising government advice or the World Health Organisation. It's part of an effort to direct people to more traditional, trusted sources of information while also taking down fake ones. If we stick to Twitter, they updated their safety policy saying that they will ban tweets that, you know, if there's a a tweet that um, says, you know, this could putting people at a high risk of transmitting COVID-19, you know, if there are tweets that are encouraging people, you know, to do things or denying official guidance and encouraging sort of ineffective treatments, preventions, those sorts of things, you know, or any sort of misleading posts that are pretending to be from an authority or or an expert, um, of course, they're, they're banning those. If you look at Facebook, 
you know, ads which attempt to exploit the outbreak. You know, you've seen things like anyone trying to sell miracle cures or medical face masks at you know, inflated prices. That's been banned. COVID has had the remarkable effect of making some impossible things, or at least things we were told were impossible, suddenly very doable. Why is it that the tech companies, after so many calls for change and such reluctance to do so, should now act on misinformation? Well, this is the whole point, isn't it? If they can do it in this crisis, it means it is possible. It's just there hasn't been the will, and now there's the will. But I think that's really interesting. Peter Lewis is the director of the Australia Institute's Centre for Responsible Technology. Well, obviously we're facing an existential um, public health crisis and the implications of disinformation um, are stark. And there, there is an outcome if at the end of that people dying and then all of a sudden we're seeing that the platforms can do things about it. They can do takedown and This is fascinating after many years of us being told it's all too hard. So, have techcos found their conscience? Is it the moral imperative that forced their hand? There is both a moral imperative and a pragmatic risk matrix at play. I don't, you know, I've never attributed bad or malicious motives to the way the platforms operate. They operate in their self-interest because they're a commercialised public square. They can now see the implications of that and I think there's at play there is both a moral imperative but also an commercial imperative that if if, if the public, if this commercialised public square as I've described Facebook in the past is going to continue, it needs to clean up its mess and Cleaning up its mess means imposing the sorts of rules that doesn't allow disinformation that can kill people to thrive. Ariel believes those kinds of rules around health are an easier place to start. I think it's quite simple to take down coronavirus misinformation. The test is more simple. So when I've talked to people at Facebook and other companies, they take down content that will potentially put people in harm's way. So if there was a YouTube video that told people the coronavirus was not real and that they should get out and about and to ignore lockdown orders, that might be taken down because it directs people to do something that could be harmful to their health. Likewise, if there was a Facebook post that told everybody to uh, take a particular drug as a cure for coronavirus or as a prevention, and that drug could damage people or hurt them in some way, that will be taken down by Facebook. I think it's just an easier test. Will this cause actual harm is a much easier test for the companies to police than political misinformation, which is always a little more subjective. But of course, these worlds aren't always so easy to differentiate. For example, what if it were a politician who was touting a dangerous treatment, say, injecting disinfectant? So if we're looking at things, platforms like Twitter, they were asked about the comments by US President Donald Trump regarding the use of disinfectant as a treatment. So... um, Twitter's blocked the hashtags um, inject disinfectant from trending, but Donald Trump making this statement is um, still allowed on the platform. So the public health has always almost been their fig leaf. We'll do it for public health, but we won't get involved in politics because we value free speech above all else unless it's disinformation about public health. And it's it's a really false um, 
dichotomy that they've set up, and I think that um, it's not sustainable for them in the long term. Another truth of the times is that despite talk of snapping back, of returning to life just as it was before COVID, the virus will change some things forever, for better or worse. Now that the techcos have shown what is possible, can they go back to washing their hands of responsibility? Yes, although I guess I'm taking the view that it just goes to show what can be done and there have been calls for these sort of measures for a long time. And, um, you know, look, this is an unprecedented crisis and I think these, I think the issue really is more that um, (laughs) there'll be more pressure not to wind back these measures. Even keeping them as they are now might not be enough going forward. The platforms have shown no intention of broadening the measures to other areas beyond health but they may soon have no choice. You know, this is an incredibly disruptive time and a whole lot of institutions are falling down and have to be rethought. And I think our social media platforms fit that category and they will, by necessity, be different beasts at the end of this process. But how different is something we should all keep an eye on? Overcorrecting the problem could be a danger itself. Curbing misinformation, generally speaking, is a positive move. But on the other hand, we need to you know, take a moment and reflect before we start demanding that a private company that's not even based in Australia start policing Australian speech. I mean, and under what rules? We don't get to contribute to face, how, Facebook's moderation rules. They're not voted on by the Australian public. Uh, they are a collection of people in the United States making this decision with maybe an input from one or two Australian Facebook staff, but not uh, from the Australian public at large. So when we ask Facebook to crack down on speech, we need to be careful what we wish for, I think, as well. Walking the tightrope of policing some speech but not others Healthcare but not politics will become increasingly difficult because that test of will this cause harm is inherently political. Many have pointed out the need for a more scientific approach to another crisis of our times. A lot of people would argue that our response to the coronavirus pandemic should be a model for our response to climate change. Both are huge crises, uh, huge crises that require a public collective response and a science-based response from government. So they're definitely run alongside. I mean, unfortunately, here in Australia, climate change, global warming has been politicised to such an extent that that kind of collective response seems, I mean, so difficult to get to. Online misinformation has played no small part in creating this dysfunction. But if you're in the business of finding silver linings, COVID has produced at least one. Over the last couple of months, we've seen a big uptake in trust in both the government and the media and other public institutions as well. So take a step back on what's going on. Federal government's working in cooperation with the states, drawing in advice from stakeholders, actively engaging with the community, from doing everything that you don't normally see governments and political parties doing. And A, it's working in terms of dealing with the public health crisis B, public is much more engaged and trusting of government and setting up that government can be much more the solution as we move into the economic phase of this. So, you know, I think, you know, what we've learnt through this pandemic in Australia is our institutions are still fundamentally sound. So I'm I'm actually, I, I know this is a terrible time globally, but I'm actually 
optimistic that it's providing an opportunity to rethink a lot of this stuff, maybe for the better. Think Digital Futures is made with the support of 2SER Radio and the University of Technology, Sydney. This program is made in Sydney on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. You can hear more of Think Digital Futures on 2SER.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Butler. Till next time.